Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to bring us God's word today, which comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. Please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, unless your spirit helps us, we will struggle to understand and we will be dull of hearing. I pray that you will give us spiritual ears today to discern and comprehend spiritual truths. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Advent season is the weeks leading up to Christmas, the weeks of anticipation leading up to the birth of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, taking on full humanity while remaining fully God. This is what we call the incarnation, God becoming man. But why? Why was that necessary? And was there really no other way? Could God not have figured out another way to save sinful humanity? Why go through all of that trouble of being born fully human, growing into an infant, a toddler, a teenager, living through his 20s and early 30s, having three years of ministry, suffering, being rejected, mocked, and eventually crucified? Was it necessary to go through all of that trouble in order to save sinful humanity? There had to be another way, right? Apparently not. According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, there was no other way. Verse 17 says that Jesus had to be human. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This word had to be means there was no other way. And why was there no other way? And we're going to answer that question today in this passage in Hebrews. And it's my hope that as we unpack the answer to that question, that you would discover or maybe even rediscover your need for Jesus, that you would see how much Jesus is worthy of your deepest affections and also see Jesus's deepest affections for you. We see in this passage that there are two reasons why Jesus had to be human And the first reason and the first point is this. Jesus had to be human to be the propitiation. This word propitiation might be a foreign term for you, but it's an important term. And it's important that we understand it and what it means because it helps us understand what Jesus went through for us. And another added benefit in understanding this word propitiation is this, is that I don't think it's possible to learn about what propitiation means and not love Jesus more. And so by understanding this term better, I truly believe your love for Jesus is going to grow. So where is this term coming from? It's coming straight from verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. According to this verse, Jesus had to be human in order to make propitiation for our sins. And if he's not human, he can't make propitiation. Full humanity is a full requirement. 
So what is propitiation? To propitiate means to appease, to pacify, or to satisfy. So Jesus had to be fully human in order to appease something or satisfy something. And what exactly is that something that needed to be appeased or satisfied? We can answer that question by asking another question. What did Jesus save us from? How would you answer that? Some people might say that Jesus saved us from hell. And yes, Jesus saved us from going to hell. But who sends sinners to hell? Who created hell? And who's punishing sinners in hell? Some might say that Jesus saved us from Satan. But that can't be true because it's not Satan whom we sinned against. Therefore, it's not Satan who will be punishing us or who needs appeasement. Some might even say that Jesus saved us from sin, and that's absolutely true. But we've got to go further than that. What does sin deserve? What are the consequences of sin? So how do we answer that? What did Jesus save us from? And this might sound odd at first, but Jesus saved us from God. Specifically, Jesus saved us from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And again, this might sound strange, but we are saved by God from God. We are saved from God because God is holy. His holiness demands that every single sin be comprehensively punished and given exactly what it is due. Every sin is an offense against an infinitely holy God. Therefore, every sin deserves an infinite punishment. And that's why God created hell. And that's why God sends people to hell. And that's why hell is eternal. God's wrath, it isn't wrong. It's biblical. His wrath is actually holy. God's wrath is his righteous, just, fair response to our sin. For God to punish sin in any other way or any less would be unjust. And that would actually be contrary to his holy character. It is God's righteous wrath that must be appeased. How can God's wrath be appeased? Well, it has to be um emptied. That's the first thing that has to be accomplished. It has to be emptied. In the Bible, God's wrath is often depicted as a cup. And his wrath is appeased when that cup is fully and completely emptied. If there's any wrath left in that cup, then his wrath is not appeased. Not only does it have to be emptied, it has to be poured out on sinful people. It can't be poured out on something inanimate. It can't be poured out outer space somewhere. It can't be poured out on another living creature such as animals. No, it must be poured out on those who are guilty of sinning against God, and those are people. If poured out on anything else or anywhere else, this wrath is not appeased. So it's not just that this cup must be emptied, but it matters what it is emptied upon. And this is why the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were not sufficient. They were deficient in at least two ways. Number one, they weren't human. Animals didn't sin against God. Animals don't have guilt against God. We sin against God, and it is our guilt. Secondly, animals are not eternal. 
Our sin deserves eternal punishment. And you can't punish a finite creature for an infinite amount of sin. You'll never be satisfied. God's wrath will never be satisfied. And that's why in the Old Testament, these animal sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over again. Hebrews 10.4 says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now you may ask, well, aren't we finite humans? How can God's eternal wrath be emptied out on us and satisfied when it is poured out on us? We actually are not finite beings. Every human being has a soul and that soul is eternal. God's wrath will be poured out for eternity on eternal souls who have sinned against him and there God's wrath will be satisfied. Do you see the predicament here? Is there any solution to this predicament? There is, but it doesn't seem very plausible. First, we would need a human. Like I said, animal sacrifices don't work. Animals didn't sin against God. So we need a human. That's actually the easy part. But then this human would have to be sinless. That's not possible. This human would also have to somehow take our sin. How does that even work? How do you transfer sin from one human to another, one human's guilt to another? And not only that, this human would have to somehow appease an eternity's worth of wrath that we deserve. And so even if you found a human who was sinless and able to take our sin, good luck getting them to volunteer. And they also have to be able to take an eternity's worth of wrath on your behalf. Would there ever be such a person who is willing? Would there ever be such a person who is able? Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The answer to this predicament is Jesus Christ. He is the answer, the only answer, the only one. It was Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless human life. It was Jesus who on the cross took our sin and the wrath of God was poured out on him, and it was completely and fully satisfied. Because Jesus was fully human, he experienced all of God's wrath. And because Jesus was also fully God, he was able to exhaust all of God's wrath. Only someone who is himself eternal can exhaust an eternity's worth of wrath. Only someone who is himself human can represent us and take our sin. There's only one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And no one made him do this. He laid down his life on his own accord. I remember I used to think that when Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's because he knew he was going to be crucified the next day. Sweating blood is called hematidrosis, and it happens when someone is under incredible emotional stress. And this was certainly true of Jesus. But after learning more about propitiation and what that meant, that Jesus would take the full wrath of God, I realized that Jesus not only knew he was going to be crucified, it wasn't just about the flogging and the nails and the cross. 
Jesus knew that night in Gethsemane that he would experience the full wrath of God. And who knows and who understands the power and intensity of God's wrath better than God himself, better than Jesus, who is God? It might have actually been a little easier for Jesus to go to the cross had he not known what the wrath of God was going to be like. Ignorance would have been bliss. But of course Jesus knew because Jesus is God. Jesus' divinity made him fully aware of the agony that was to come. And he also knew that on the cross, when he was experiencing the wrath of God, his divine nature would not spare him any of that agony. So sweating drops of blood makes a lot more sense now when I read that passage. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken by the Father. And that doesn't mean the Father left Jesus alone. The Father did not leave Jesus alone. Jesus was crushed by the Father. Isaiah 53, 10 to 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. In the Apostles' Creed, there's a line that says, he was crucified, dead, and buried. And some churches include a line that goes, he descended into hell. No one knows exactly what this means. Some churches include it, some omit it. And it's because this was actually a later addition to the Apostles' Creed, and we're not quite sure what it came from. Not only that, it can be a little confusing He descended into hell. Does that mean Jesus went to hell? I think one of the best ways to understand that phrase, if it's used, is how John Calvin explains it. And I'm paraphrasing and summarizing here. And John Calvin says this, it's not that Jesus went to hell on the cross. It's that Jesus went through hell on the cross. That Jesus experienced exactly what we deserve. Sinners deserve the eternal wrath of God in hell. And on the cross, Jesus went through hell. All of it. All of the hell that we deserved. So if you're a believer, this is a reminder for you that the wrath of God towards you when you repented and placed your faith in Jesus, it didn't disappear. God didn't make it disappear No, it was satisfied. It was appeased. Satisfied by Christ, your propitiation. What does this mean for us? Well, the first, if you are not a believer, there's no other way to put this but the wrath of God. The cup of God's wrath is waiting to be poured out on you in your sin. And you can't satisfy this wrath by yourself or by your merit or by your good efforts or good deeds. Sin is a problem you cannot fix yourself. But the good news in the gospel is that Jesus did it. He lived that perfect life. And on the cross, he took our sin. If you would place your faith in him and rest on him alone, that he died and took that wrath and rose victoriously from the grave, that you would be saved. And salvation is a free, gracious gift from God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, I want you to be reminded God's wrath, all of it against you and your sins past, present, and future has been appeased. It has been satisfied. That there is no wrath left for you. There is no condemnation left for you. That you have no fear of punishment. And you never have to question your standing before God. So practically, what does this mean? It means you can be at peace. Because you are at peace with God because of Christ, who is our propitiation. And that when you stand before him on that day, there is no condemnation. It also means that whatever hardship you're going through is not because God is punishing you. God can't punish you. God has nothing to punish you for because on the cross, Jesus was punished for everything that we did wrong. And I know sometimes that we're, when we're suffering and we're going through a hard time, sometimes we think maybe God is angry at us or he's mad at us or he's getting back at us. Propitiation teaches us that is not a possibility. All of God's anger towards our sin and our faults and our failures, Jesus took all of that on the cross. That cup is empty. Not a single drop left. And it also means we should thank Jesus. Worship Jesus. Adore Jesus. Maybe thank him right now in your heart. Maybe spend some time later this day in private prayer or worship. I can't think about propitiation. I don't think we can think about propitiation and not want to praise Jesus a little bit more. Now, although there's no longer any punishment for sin, we still experience pain and problems because of sin. And this isn't because God is punishing us for our sin. I just explained that. But it's because we still live in a sinful world that's still very broken by sin. And so we still have pain and we still have problems. And in this passage, we learn another reason why. The incarnation of Christ, God becoming man, is so amazing. That Jesus is not only our propitiation, but he is also our priest that he not only dealt with the punishment for our sin, but he also helps us with the pain caused by sin in this life. The pain that we experience living in this broken, sinful world. And he can help us so well because he is human. The second point this morning is this. Because Jesus is human, he is our perfect priest. If you think about it, the person who should understand you the least is God. God is holy. We are sinful. He is infinite. We are finite. He is limitless. We are limited. He is uncreated. We are creatures. It's like when you strike up a conversation with someone who is way smarter than you. And they might be really nice, but you have a hard time connecting and relating to them. And you can tell that they're struggling the same with you. And I think at times we can feel that way about God. God created us. He loves us. He saved us. But does he really get us? Can he really relate to us? How can he? Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Friends, God does understand you. Jesus is God, and he was fully human. And because of that, he is our perfect priest who can help us. Jesus' priesthood is marked by two qualities I want to highlight in this verse. 
The first is that he is merciful, which means he knows what it is like to be down. Why is Jesus so good at helping us? Yes, he is all-powerful, so he can do all things. That's one reason why he's so good at helping us. But another reason why Jesus is so good at helping us is because he himself knows what it means to need help. When we think about Jesus' human life on earth, we may think, oh, he just kind of cruised along and didn't need any help because he was God that whole time, right? Like, what does Jesus really know about needing help? When we look at his life and his ministry, we just see Jesus always helping other people, but that's not true. Yes, Jesus helps others, but he knows what it's like to need help. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And after he prayed that prayer, it says that an angel came and ministered to him. Earlier on, before he started his public ministry, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And after passing the test, it says that an angel or angels, plural, came and were ministering to Jesus. Jesus needed help. Jesus, who is God, who could lift the universe with his fingertip, he needed help on the way to Golgotha. He needed help carrying his cross. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus, who is God, omnipotent, knows full well what it's like to be human and to have burdens too heavy to bear alone. Hebrews 5, 1 to 2. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. How would you deal with someone who is ignorant, wayward, and weak? I think we tend to be harsh with those we don't understand. For example, we forget what it's like to be a kid, and so maybe we're really harsh with our kids. Or we don't know what it's like to be in our spouse's shoes. Or we don't really know their experience and their history, and so we're harsh with them. Or we don't know what others have been through and why they react a certain way or their personalities are a certain way or talk a certain way, and we can be harsh with them. In other words, our, our ignorance can make us so unkind and harsh and, and overbearing and demanding with others. But this verse says that Jesus knows how to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward and the weak because he himself was beset with weakness. Jesus isn't harsh when we sin. He isn't overbearing when we're forgetful. He isn't demanding when we're so slow. And he isn't tough on us when we're so weak and fragile. No, Jesus deals gently and mercifully with us, he knows what it's like to be human. He knows all of the limitations that come with being human, all of the emotions and all of the weakness. Because Jesus knows what it's like to need help, he knows how to help those in need. Not only is Jesus merciful, but he is also faithful, which means he will never let you down 
This is actually the quality of Jesus that is unhuman. We want Jesus' mercy to be human, but we actually want his faithfulness to be divine. Why? Because we want Jesus to be able to relate to us in his humanity so he can understand our weakness and be so merciful towards us. But the thing about people is that they're flawed and fickle and unpredictable. They break promises. They disappoint us. They change their minds. They, they turn their backs. Think about the way that maybe you deal with others who are difficult or weak or slow or wayward. Because our human nature is limited, it's hard to bear with those kinds of people for so long. We may even want to give up on them because we're so overwhelmed by their pain or their sin or their problems. And that's not just the way we treat others, but maybe you treat yourself that way. Maybe you want to give up on yourself. Maybe you feel like you're a lost cause. Jesus is fully human, which means he understands your weakness. But unlike people, Jesus is perfectly faithful. Unlike people, Jesus will never change his mind. He'll never turn his back. He never gives up on us. He never breaks promises. He isn't fickle. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same Jesus who is able to handle all of your sin the same Jesus who was able to handle all of God's wrath on the cross, and there is no greater burden, there's no greater pain one could possibly experience to that, is the same Jesus who can handle all of your weakness and your pain. Your problems are not too much for him. Jesus is never overwhelmed by your sin. Jesus doesn't need a break from you. He is your merciful and faithful high priest. Thomas Goodwin, he was an English pastor and theologian, and he wrote a book in 1651. That was a long time ago. I never read this book, but I came across this book in preparing for this sermon, and I'm not going to quote anything from this book. I actually just want to share the title of this book because I've never been so moved simply by a title of a book. And the title is this. The original full title from the 1651 publication, The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth, a treatise demonstrating the gracious disposition and tender affection of Christ in his humane nature now in glory, unto his members under all sorts of infirmities, either of sin or misery. I know that's really long, but when I first read that title, I said, wow. I said that out loud. I was in my, my apartment by myself. And I sighed a deep sigh audibly. And it was really that first line that got me. The heart of Christ in heaven towards sinners on earth. And I guess it's because at times Christ can seem so far away. I know he ascended into heaven, but my sin and weakness and problems seem so near. Nearer to me than Christ is to me. But this title alone teaches, that, teaches us that although Christ is in heaven, his heart is still very much 
towards us on earth. That has not changed. That even in your sin, his heart is towards you. He doesn't hate you. I don't know about you, but my sanctification always feels so subpar and slow. And yes, Jesus wants you to grow in holiness, but he's not angry at your unholiness. His disposition towards you is gracious. Even in your misery and suffering and weakness, Jesus hasn't forsaken you, nor has he forgotten you. He is not disappointed in you for not being stronger, for not getting it together, or for not being more full of faith. No, his affection towards you are so tender. In the first chapter of this book, Goodwin writes, how Christians often imagine and wonder and wish that they could meet and see Jesus in the flesh. They, they believe that if they could do that, Jesus would be more relatable to them in his humanity. But Goodwin reminds believers of something so important for all of us who have never met Jesus in the flesh. And he reminds them of this important truth Jesus is still in the flesh. Jesus, although ascended in glory, is still fully in his human nature. That didn't change, which means his heart towards you has not changed. His mercy, his affection, his grace has not changed. His understanding of what you're going through has not changed. And he is here to help. And he is able to help. In verse 18, it says that Jesus, he suffered when he was tempted. And so he knows how to help those who are suffering as well. Friends, as Christmas approaches, this passage in Hebrews causes us to marvel at the incarnation of Christ. I pray that we would worship and adore him a little more this season for being human for being our propitiation and our faithful high priest. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. And we know that you didn't have to force him to come. But he came on his own accord, willing with the joy set before him that he would take on humanity, knowing he would also have to face the cross and take on our sin, and also knowing that he would have to take on the full wrath of God. We praise you that we have such a faithful and merciful high priest. Stir our hearts with greater love and affection for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.